Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. And I have to tell you, this is our live, last, final live, regular episode on Coffee Break with Game Changers for the year 2018. But... Starting next week, we will start a six-week prediction special, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. So what are we talking about today? This is a fascinating topic. I have a quote from Mark Cuban. Come on, you know Shark Tank and the Dallas Mavericks, and he takes really interesting promotional pictures, and he's very outspoken. Here's a quote from Mark Cuban. Artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning. Whatever you're doing, if you don't understand it, learn it, because otherwise you're going to be a dinosaur within three years. Now, I don't have the exact date of the quote, but we may be within that three years. It may be getting shorter as we speak. Let me give you a little background on this. Earlier this year in 2018, Alibaba CEO Jack Ma made headlines for proclaiming the imminent arrival of the robot CEO. Let that sink in, robot CEO. He told an audience at a conference in China, we are only decades away from having robots run our companies. Later in a CNN TV interview, he predicted that in 30 years, a robot would grace the cover of Time magazine. And SoftBank CEO Masayoshi Son spoke at Mobile World Conference last year, 2017, about the concept of singularity, where machine intelligence will surpass our own human intelligence and start improving itself. At an exponential rate, he says that's going to start in 2047. Uh, We also have a report from Nesta published March 2018 this year. Includes widespread predictions that 40 to 60 percent of jobs could be lost, uh uh-oh, to robotics, uh uh-oh, and artificial intelligence by 2030 as many become automated. So what are we talking about today? Artificial intelligence, machine learning, intelligent things, all of that good stuff. It's not just cool technology for the early adopters, the people on the cutting edge, the ones who say, ah, there's some new on the tech landscape, I want to be the first. Beyond impacting our everyday lives, and this technology is here, the tech is moving into the core of business systems, and that means it has the potential to shape the new economy. So getting back to that quote from Jack Ma a moment ago I quoted, what would you do, I'm talking to our listeners, and you are loyal and you are all over the world, what would you do if a machine learning educated artificial intelligence CEO took over the reins of your company. Just let that sink in. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome. Our final regular show of 2018. What an exciting topic. And I have a panel of three experts who all have very strong opinions about this. So let me tell you who they are briefly and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming Owen Pettiford, and I have to credit Owen with the topic for this show because he mentioned something about are we ready for an AI or robot CEO in his notes to me a, f- a few couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago on another Game Changer show, and I picked up on that and said, aha, Owen, there's a topic for an entire show. Owen Pettiford is the Senior VP of SAP Digital Transformation at a company called Back Office Associates, and he will remind us in a few minutes what he does there. And we're welcoming back also Karsten Nitschke, and he is the head of Leonardo EMEA North at SAP. Welcome, Karsten. Rounding out the panel is Frank Diana, managing partner, futurist. He's one of our favorite go-to futurists at TCS. That's Tata. And we are very pleased to have him back. And we were supposed to have Gray Scott, a leading futurist in the field of emerging tech, but Gray was summoned over to CBS TV for a special interview today. So we had to excuse him from our panel, and we sent him our good wishes and we're trying to tape it on TV right now. So welcome everyone and let's turn to our first panelist Owen Pettiford and Owen has sent us a quote from the Scarecrow or by the Scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. Scarecrow is a character in the fictional land of Oz created by American author L. Frank Baum and the Scarecrow so said when he first appeared in Wizard of Oz he lacked a brain and he wanted above all else to have one. In reality he's only two days old and merely ignorant. Turns out he was one of the smartest ones in 
the bunch, and you have to watch the show again and again and again to enjoy that. Here's a quote. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Owen Pettiford, welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for joining me. This is all your fault. You started this with this little note you sent me a couple of months ago for another show, and you said, what about singularity? What about the idea of a, of a robot, a CEO who is all AI machine language learning? So tell me, how did you pick this fascinating quote from the Scarecrow? And then tell me a little bit about your thoughts about the topic. Go ahead, Owen. Well, I, I think the, the, the quote from the Scarecrow was really reflecting on, um, I guess, the way machine learning algorithms learn, you know, they, 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 they all the, the way we all learn, um, you know, you feed them a bit of information, you make a mistake, you, you do something else and you continue to learn and learn and learn and then you get cleverer and cleverer and, and, and that's what happened to the scarecrow and that's what happens to machine learning algorithms and then I think the concept of the um, of the AI CEO really came to me when I was, was doing some work on, on the way people are adopting um, uh, artificial intelligence at the moment and that's very much in the same way as, um, as, say, a new employer or a new graduate joins your organization, you're, they're, they're being given tasks, but they're being supervised. People are looking at the output. They're choosing to apply the output. So they're very much de- um, you know, de- dependent on their on a supervisor. But, you know, those graduates go on to become um, you know, middle-line managers, and then they're, they're sort of in- interdependent. They still take some guidance, but they're making a lot of their own decisions. And then eventually, you know, some of those graduates become... CEOs and, and you know the, if you take the logical progression of AI, then you know it's got to go that way. Um, it's, it's very hard to to see it today when it's when it's doing fairly. Um, you know, I guess a lot of machine learning stuff is pretty one-trick pony stuff, and it's hard to understand how that can then be combined into something that could be you know as clever as, as human beings. But that's where all this stuff is going, and whether that's going to happen in um, you know 2047 or 2043 or 2050. Um, the the march of that intelligence is getting greater and greater, and I think it is just fascinating that when you first when you mention the AICO to somebody, they're like, oh, oh no, well that couldn't couldn't possibly enter the boardroom, mm-hmm. so they're clever enough to do to do these tasks, but they're not clever enough to do these tasks, and that just you know it, it just it's sort of nonsensical. If, if it's coming, it's going to come, and it's going to help um, uh, you know help help our companies make smarter decisions as well. And interesting, Owen, I'm trying to picture somebody asking for an appointment, whether it's for an interview or whether it's for just a job discussion with the CEO and going to, quote unquote, the office of the CEO, if there will still be a physical office and walking in and seeing that uh, that robot CEO perhaps pictured on the future cover of that Time magazine, as I, I mentioned, was uh, mentioned at Mobile World Congress conference. And the question, oh, no, I'm sorry, that was something that um, that was one of uh, Jack Ma's predictions actually, that a, a robot would grace the cover of Time magazine. I guess the question is, will there still be a, a physical version of Time magazine in 2047? That's a whole other topic. But my, my question is, how would you make an appointment to talk to that CEO? Would there be a physical robot standing in the corner or sitting at a desk or, I don't know, in a, in a cage in the ceiling or somewhere? Can, can you give me a picture of how you see that meeting going, Owen, just briefly? I'm curious. I think I, I, I honestly can't imagine imagine it actually being a you know a thing. I think it will probably happen in more of a way where we are um, being um, advised to make decisions. So where are currently people are making those decisions based on gut feel, um, whatever gut feel is. You know, gut feel I guess is is, a, is an expression of what intelligence is. Um, you know, these guys who are at the top of their game in terms of businesses. So whether it's going to get to a stage where there'll still be a physical person, but they will be augmented by, you know, these, uh, you know, digital advisors. Um, and I find it really hard to imagine, you know, that, that they'll, that, that they'll then take over. But I guess that's the, that's the, I guess either night, nightmare or utopian scenario, depending on, on your, um, which, which books you read as to whether, you know, I guess why wouldn't it get that way if, if the robot was making better and better decisions and more and more and outsmarting the human beings, eventually we'd get used to the fact that that's the, that will be the norm. You know, it's difficult for dinosaurs like me to understand that, but I guess, you know, my, my children's children will probably be used to being advised what to do by a computer. 
Very interesting. Thank you, Owen. You painted a very interesting picture. We're going to find out what our co-panelists think about that. We have a lot more to hear from you, so we appreciate you joining us today. Let's go to Karsten Nitschke, and Karsten has been waiting patiently. Karsten has sent me a quote, which is the title of a book. We've heard this one before, and it's so appropriate. The book is written by Robert Kriegel, Ph.D., and David Brandt, and the title, many of you may already know, is Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers. The full title is Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers, developing change-ready people and organizations. It was considered a landmark book. The authors, uh, obviously, I said Kriegel and Brandt, best-selling, exploring the cause and effects of change in the workplace. And the review on Amazon says they lay out beautifully with wit and major impact how to develop change-ready people and organizations, starting with you, meeting the reader. Interestingly enough, Robert Kriegel also wrote a book called If It Ain't Broke, Break It, and Other Unconventional Wisdom for a Changing Business World. So I know his heart's in the right place. So the quote from Karsten is simply the title of the book, Sacred Cows Make the Best Burgers. Karsten, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be back. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you very much. So talk to me about how you picked this quote. I I know it's perfect, but I want to hear it in your own words. Go ahead. So I picked the quote because I think it's always great to make a provocative statement. And when you say that, I, and I use it in a lot of meetings. So sex cows make the best burgers. And people look at me very disturbed and uh, then tell me how politically <laughs> incorrect it is. But on the other side, it is it makes them think, so what do you actually want to say with that? And I think that's the best moment that you can get to in a meeting. Right? Uh, what do you actually want to say with that? And I think whenever we look at these topics uh, of innovation or now the AI, CEO, etc. A lot of people don't even think about it, right? Because that's the sacred cow, right? The CEO, that's the top person in our company. How could we possibly not have a person there, right? And think about how it could be, right? What does a CEO do if he looks into the future or he tries to predict the future based on what, right? That's a question that we can ask in many cases. And then he takes decisions based on data and probably gut feel. But wouldn't you agree, and I just take that example because I just had that yesterday when I landed in London and the pilot said, please shut off all electronic devices because we have an instrument landing due to zero visibility. If you take a plane that flies at 200 miles per hour and it just relies and pilots hands off and just sees how the plane lands perfectly on the spot on the runway, the pilot could not have done that because he didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. What about the CEO? How do we think that he actually sees everything? So I think it's a, it's a great example on how to just break down some mental barriers, right? And uh, it just always have to be a human that will take the best decision. Because typically the human will never have enough data and be able to process all that data in order to take the best decision. Interesting, Karsten. I, I know what often comes up in the minds of, uh, I'm just going to say, us, we mere mortal humans, is the question of we want a, a leader who feels and cares and has empathy and maybe says a joke once in a while. Will this AI, is this possible? Come on, Karsten, help me with this. Is it possible that, that the ideal, let's talk about the ideal AI CEO Whatever their gender may be, whatever their race may be, whatever their ethnicity may be, who knows if those will come into it, will they be able to have an an AI slash machine learning educated ethic or empathy? What's your thought? Well, I mean, there's at least some some theories that uh, uh, at least the the AI will surpass uh, the human brain in around 12 years. I think the latest that I read now. Um, But the whole thing, and I think you made a very important point, is there's this thing called empathy. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's also say that in our current business world, people make business with people. It is extremely personal. As much as we say, oh, it's only business and et cetera, that would be another quote that I love a lot. Um, no, it's only business, it's nothing personal from the Godfather, <laughs> which by the way is completely wrong because it's very personal. But if we look at the AI CEO, what I really would picture is just like the pilot example that I just gave you, the pilot is there. He's the ultimate responsible. He has to make the call. He do um, an approach only by instruments. Right? So the CEO will be there. It's 
still will be a person. Uh, like also to the example that you asked to, to Owen, right? How do you, how do you actually make an appointment with the office of the CEO if it's just a robot? I'm, I'm quite sure that the human will not be replaced, but the human will be augmented. Uh, and the CEO will really then have decision um, supporting systems that will be much, much closer and really give him all the different views that he would possibly not have without an AI engine in the back end to help him. Yes, I do this. Or no, I don't do this other stuff. But still, we have a human being that we can talk to. Thank you. I, I like your version. I really do, Karsten. I feel better already. Thank you very much. We still need a person oh, somewhere well. in that top spot. Let's see what Frank Diane has to say. Frank, welcome back. Frank is a regular guest throughout the years. For many years now, he's one of our go-to futurists. And Frank has selected a quote from Richard Baldwin, The Great Convergence. Richard Baldwin is a professor of international economics at the Graduate Institute Geneva. He's also the president of the Center for Economic Policy. Policy Research, CEPR in London, and Editor-in-Chief of the Economic Policy Portal, VoxEU.org, which he founded in June 20, I'm sorry, 2007, 2007. Here is the quote from The Great Convergence, and it is here the following. We have a duty to think hard about what may be so as to better prepare society for the changes that may come. Frank, Diana, early happy holidays. How have you been? I've been great. How about you? Very well, thank you. I'm better now that you're here. So tell me about this interesting quote. It sounds like there's a word responsibility implied in this quote. What do you think? Yeah, that's all over that quote. Um, and as you know from uh, our past experiences, I'm a big believer that the world is heading to a place where society may need to absorb more change than it's ready for. And obviously we just talked about a great great couple of examples there. So the quote really meaningful for me because it does speak to the notion that we as a society really have a responsibility to drive where this future goes as opposed to letting it drive itself, which it, for the most case it is doing as we speak. So things like what we just discussed, empathy and or who, who, who's uh, talking to the AI CEO. And on the empathy front, there, there is a scenario that has robots uh, exhibiting empathy and being companions for the elderly that's already playing out in some places around the world. Um, and I've shown videos where people just marvel at what a robot could do even at that level. Mm-hmm. And then in the context of, you know, who's going to talk to the AI CEO, uh, ultimately Siri and Cortana and uh, Alexa are heading towards an autonomous agent status where you're not going to talk to that AI CEO. Your agent's going to do that for you. Frank, how do you see the AI CEO? Will there be a human being sitting at the desk with a little globe that lights up on the corner of the desk? And he's, well, he or she says, let me ask Bob, our AI CEO, what Bob thinks or what Roberta thinks or whatever. What will be the place? Will there be two in the office? Will it be a person like the Wizard of Oz? Going back to the quote from the Scarecrow, will it be a Wizard of Oz where there's a, a curtain and a screen and the person's behind the screen and the, the robot CEO is at the desk doing the talking? What's your vision? Now, so the challenge we have is that we, we view something like that through our current lens. And, and I could apply that challenge, broadly speaking, but we're just not looking through the right lenses when we look at these things, right? So we're looking at traditional organizations and their structures and then applying the fact that an AICO might be running that organization as opposed to that organization, when that happens, looks very different in the future. So, for, for example, it's probably more of a decentralized autonomous organization where blockchain and AI and robotics have really obviated the need for any people at all. Right Now, that might not be the right place we want to go, but that's where it's heading. And so if an AI CEO were to actually be realized, it, it's realized in the context of a very different organization. Thank you very much. Very interesting perspective. And in the interest of, uh, of completing the panel, even though Gray Scott, our other go-to futurist, cannot join us, CBS TV has called him, has summoned him for an interview today. I'm going to read the quote he sent us just because it will add some additional flavor to our conversation here. He quotes Jeffrey Hawkins, born in 1957, the American founder of Palm Computing, where, yes, he invented the Palm Pilot, and Handspring, where he invented the Trio. And now he's working on neuroscience full-time and founded the Redwood Center for Theoretical Neuroscience and founded Numenta in 2005 and published on intelligence. Obviously, Jeff Hawkins is busy, as is Gray Scott. Here's the quote, just tossing this out just to the masses here. Quote, prediction is not just one of the things your brain does. 
It is the primary function of the neocortex and the foundation of intelligence. So I would say to my panelists, Owen and Karsten and Frank, you are all exercising your neocortex by answering my questions about predicting what this AI CEO will look like. And I'm very happy to be part of that exercise before the holidays. We all know we need some extra exercise. So let's do a quick around the table here and get an update on our three panelists because it's been a little while since we've spoken with you. Owen Pettiford, I'm going to ask, where are you today? What part of the world? You can be as specific or vague as you wish. And what's your favorite drink coming up for the holidays? Or if you celebrated Thanksgiving, what was in that mug or that glass? And give us an update on what you're up to at Back Office Associates. Owen, go ahead. Uh, so I'm in I'm in the UK, pretty much in the middle of uh, the UK, um, and I am currently drinking a lovely glass of cold water, um, which is being, which is nice and refreshing. And, uh, and for my day job, I'm uh, I'm helping customers existing ERP systems across to um, the the um, AI enabled um, ERP and seeing seeing the early stages of uh, of AI and being. Being excited by, it. I mean, that was what what, uh, what started me interested in my interest in being in computers was the fact they could take away boring, repetitive tasks and leave people to mm-hmm. be creative. Um, and fortunately, at the moment, we're at the stage of AI where it's the taking away the boring, repetitive task piece. So it's an uh, exciting time. Computers are starting to do what I thought they should have done when I started working with them 25 years ago. It is an exciting time, and I have words of wisdom for you, Mr. Pettiford. Be careful what you say to me in your notes for a radio show for the year, because it may end up sparking a brand new topic, and that's why we're here today. It's all because of you and what you said about singularity and the AI CEO. So I'm just going to say thank you. I really appreciated that little gem you buried somewhere in your fourth statement a few months ago. Really appreciated it, and that's when I called upon uh, Karsten was with you and Frank, Diane, and Grace Scott. I thought it would be a great conversation, and it already is. So thank you again, Owen. That was a gift from you to us. Karsten Nitschke, where are you today in the world? What do you love to drink or what's going to be on the table or in the cooler for the holidays? And bring us an update on what you're doing with Leonardo Amia North at SAP. Karsten. Okay. Today I'm in beautiful, foggy and a little bit rainy London, um, which is is quite uh, interesting. It's a typical stereotype that you have of the city, but I have to say I really love to always be here. Uh, It's a place where a lot of things uh, do happen. Um, So it's one of my, it's almost my my second home. Um, Or sometimes I get calls, how are you with your second family in London? So it's, um, it's a good place to be. In, on the drink thing, um, last time when you asked me that, you caught me very early in the morning, so I was not really able to say what my favorite drink is because okay. it would have sounded a little bit like um, alcoholic. Now, I love to have red wine. Uh, I think it's a beautiful drink. Uh, it's a drink that is also very social uh, because you dr- typically share that with some people uh, and you talk, and I think a good conversation over a good glass of wine is a, is a very good conversation. It typically gets very honest and very personal. I very much like that drink, and for the holidays. Do you have a favorite label, Karsten? Do you have a favorite label of red wine you'd like to recommend to us? We're interested. Oh yes, I do several, but uh, the two favorite ones that I have is Pago de los Capellanes. It's from the Ribera del Duero area in in Spain, and the other one that I totally love is Hacienda Monasterio. It's a great wine. Uh, You get a really good value for the wine. Uh, It's something you can thoroughly taste and enjoy and it really goes well just as a single glass or with a good meal so I can really recommend it Spanish wines are really good wines it's a bit advertisement for my home country there you go and tell um, me what you're, what's <laughs> up to with you and Leonardo and Mia North what's happening give me an update so I have to say it's uh, very soon on, on Saturday actually it will be exactly one year that I'm in the role and uh, it has been a wonderful drive so far, and uh, it is going to be an even better ride uh, as we move on, because it really allows me to change completely the conversation that we have with customers, right? And uh, to really, for example, put value into the data. Um, and I'm <clears throat> sorry, I have to say I really enjoy that because um, it very much links to our topic today. So I just had a conversation with the customer when in their purchasing department. I said, "How do you know actually what if you get a good deal?" How do you know that? Well, how, based on what do you take certain decisions? And when you ask him this question, the people typically look at you a little bit like, why do you ask me that? So, 
well, explain it to me because I would love to understand that better. And you find out really that you can, with little, really create a lot of value uh, and really yeah, help them to take better decisions and to get the new innovation on the table. And I have to say this is really a fantastic ride because not a single day is equal to the day before. Um, there's uh. always something new. And uh, that keeps our mind very busy, very challenged. And uh, I, I really have to say it's a great time. Wow, I like that. No days. I used to play racquetball, Karsten, and I used to love the game because no two games were ever the same. No two shots were ever the same. No two. It, it was just, it was that variety, that freshness, that what will today bring? What will this game bring? You feel that same way about your role, about your job? Absolutely. And I think we live in a very exciting time because never again will things be the slow again. Um, I, I hear it a lot. I don't know if you've guys seen uh, there's the DARPA challenge of robots, right? It's very much linked to our topic. But mm. if you look at it in 2000, and DARPA is not necessarily that there's just some, some uh, nice guys around the corner that try to build a robot. That's very, very serious universities that put a lot of effort and money into it to serve, solve certain challenges. In 2015, <clears throat> the challenge was for the robot to go approach a door, open the door, and go through it, or move through it. And if you would see how many of them failed, it was basically impossible. And you compare that to the latest videos of some companies, uh, I think Boston Dynamics is one of them, where robots now actually do parkour just three years later. That is amazing. I mean, we are moving at light speed. And uh, I think somebody said before, uh, either you adopt or you basically die out very quickly. Mm -hmm. The dinosaurs had some time to adopt. I think we need to really adopt on a daily basis already right? yep. and really understand what is changing in order to stay relevant. That's I agree. Fun. Yep, I agree. Things things are changing. The times they are changing. And it reminds me of my favorite quote, which may not apply anymore. The French for uh, plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't think they're staying the same. Thank you, Karsten. Frank, Diana, time for you. Where are you in the world today? What is your favorite drink? Let's talk about a holiday beverage, perhaps, Frank. And what's new with you at TCS? So I am in my home state of New Jersey today. Uh, and as I think I might have mentioned on this program before, my favorite holiday drink is an Italian brandy called Tuaca. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time of year, it goes really well. You actually put it in the freezer and drink it very cold. Um, so that's my favorite uh, drink. And I have been spending a lot of time uh, presenting in, uh, to audiences around the world. I've spent a lot of time with leaders around the world, uh, with uh, Grace Scott and other futurists talking about where this future of ours is heading. Uh, it really is a fascinating set of discussions. Uh, it's a great, uh, great job. Frank, your specialty is, I know we've done a webinar together. I was honored to uh, introduce to do the opening for a webinar. You were participating, and I think Gray was on it on the panel. I believe it was an open SAP a MOOC about a year and a half ago. And you talk about ethics, and I mentioned the word empathy. Where do ethics come into this conversation, Frank, in terms of the AI CEO? Who, who will decide? Who will program the machine learning on the human side so that we have ethics, or will that be just shot to the wind? Now, I mean, ethicists and, and philosophers and, and folks like that will play an integral role in advancing the ethics associated with AI and other other decision-making entities, if you will. And I, I, there's, like, fascinating work going on. I'll give you one example around MIT that has built some software that you can go on today and uh, crowdsource thinking around ethics. So they pose a series of scenarios, uh, and then you would actually respond to how you would handle that. And so the intent there, because you can't define a common ethics standard around the world, but what, you know, what is the... Uh, chances of, of this scenario playing out and what decision would a car make in that scenario uh, hitting a, a child that's crossing the street or, or killing its passenger. I think that's fascinating, the notion of crowdsourcing ethics. Uh, I just saw that the other day. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. And by the way, I looked up Tuaka. Anybody wants to find a T-U-A-C-A, just the way it sounds, naturally flavored brandy liqueur, originally produced by the Tuoni and Canepa families. Therefore, we get, we get Tuapa. A Tuaka of Livorno, Italy. It's sweet and golden brown in color. Ingredients include brandy, citrus, essences, vanilla, and other 
Secret Spices. It is bottled at 70 proof, 35% ABV, and it comes, the recipe dates back to the Renaissance period. Frank, Diana, do you consider yourself a Renaissance person, a Renaissance man? I don't know if I go that far. I was flattering you. You know I was flattering you. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. We I just heard the weather forecast before the show, and they're saying it's January temperatures already, and it's not even December. It was 26 degrees here. That's Fahrenheit for those of you in Europe. 26 degrees here last night. We've been averaging about 32 overnight, and our high is going to be woo all the way up to 43 today. Frank, it's cold in New Jersey today, I bet. Similar temps? It's been a very cold November, a very wet and cold November. Yeah, we we have rain. We had rain for three or four days last week. Anyway, I'm still stuck with drinking cool, clear water out of a cool, clear mug because they still won't let me have any caffeine on radio show days, and you all know why. So we are here. I, you know what? I think we're going to skip the break because it's 35 after. We really want to just plow into this topic. If you are just joining us, this is the final regular episode of Coffee Break with Game Changers for the the calendar year 2018. Uh, this is our flagship series. We are very grateful to our loyal listeners all over the world. You have put us for all of our Game Changer shows, the current shows this year, and the ones that are in archives, and thank you for finding them and listening to them. We're going to be topping a million listeners this year, which is quite amazing since I used to be happy with 5,000 listeners a month, and we're up to over a million. So I want to thank our listeners for appreciating and hopefully getting a lot out of the format. This is real people sitting around a virtual roundtable having a good conversation about interesting topics. We cover business strategy. We cover new technologies. We cover futuristic topics like the one today. And our topic today is the bots are coming. The bots are coming. Ready to meet your AI CEO. My very special guests are Owen Pettiford, Karsten Nitschke, and Frank Diana. And a shout out again to Gray Scott, who is busy at CBS TV today. Good for you, Gray. So let's start our roundtable formally. And Owen, I'm looking at your notes here. And let's talk about, let's see here. Um, let's talk about AI is hitting the mainstream now. This was your first note to me. And you say AI is hitting the mainstream now. It's been around since you, Owen, were studying computer science at university. We won't ask what year. But it's now finally taking hold in the mainstream. And you say it's driven by the lowering of compute power coupled with technologies enabling real-time information. So how mainstream is AI? What should our listeners who are are not focusing on business, what should they be aware of where AI is around them already? Owen, just get us started, please. Yeah, I think, I mean, AI is probably around around people in terms of the recommendations they're already getting through um, through the, you know, the marketing they're receiving. That's probably the first place that, that, uh, that people are going to, well, see or not see AI. Um, but, uh, but but experience it, you know, those making sure things are focused is being driven, I guess, in early AI. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the increase in compute power means that these, these things can now be done um, in real time. And then with the emergence of, um, you know, more, things, more and more things getting sensors so that the, the AI brain has the same view of the world that the, the, that the human beings have of the world means that those decisions can be, you know, the kind of digital twin idea means that we're getting that that syncing together so things are happening in real time so so i think that's that they're they're the kind of enabling factors and and you know, all of the major players are now providing um you know some level of ai as a service so if you want to um have some ai to understand somebody's sentiment or what language somebody's typed in or recognize things in um in images um you know these would have been things that you'd have had to have you know I don't know, cobbled together yourself five years ago. Now you can just call a service and, and, and that's available to you. So that's where it's becoming into the mainstream and that's where we're seeing it baked in to, um, to, to, to um, you know, ERP products as well. So I, I think it, over the next couple of years, people will see it at that level as sort of, I guess, what do you call it, help, helper AI. Um, and then I guess we'll get to the next stage where it's actually then going to start making, um, making more significant decisions. We're going to start trusting it more. I guess the trust bit comes, um, you know, with things like blockchain, where we can trust the information in them is is, um, is unchangeable. Then, then that you know, that level of change can happen as well. Um, I think the Achilles heel of, of all the AI I've done so far is that it still relies on being taught by um, data. So you need to teach the AI um, in, in most cases how to, how to behave, or you want it to teach at an accelerated rate. So you don't want it to learn over five years, you want it to learn everything in five minutes and then and then be, be applied. 
but a lot of the historic data and the current data just isn't of the right quality. So there's an amount of you know, data preparation that needs to go on now. So I think with AI coming in, we'll see AI being applied to, um, to data, um, data quality, data cleansing and data maintenance as well. Um, so we'll end up with a virtual circle of, um, of, of more intelligent um, AI models. Thank you very much. Karsten, I want to get you to weigh in on this, but Karsten, I have one statement that I think would be nice to add to this mix. You say machine learning is already a reality. So why don't you add to AI hitting the mainstream, which Owen introduced, and add machine learning already reality. Let's, let's, let's exponentially increase this conversation. Go ahead, Karsten. Okay. I think maybe between AI and NL, there is a uh, relative difference is a little bit thin. Uh, it's maybe also uh, just the syntax way of, of expressing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I completely agree with, uh, with what Owen said. I think it is, it is a reality. And actually, we consume it in a way and that we don't even notice it. Uh, I think somebody said before, Siri, Alexa, Cortana, and whatever else these home assistants can be that we're already using. Right? There's just, we speak to a system and the system gives us answers. Uh, and I think that, that's definitely an evolution that we see also grow. Uh, and we have them already in our lives and we don't even notice it, right? Um, and I think that's actually going to be the beauty also of the implementation, um, that it will become very natural to us to work with a machine or against a machine. Uh, I would say more with than against. Um, and then also there's the increasing levels of automation, right? Uh, if you look at it today in the car factory, just to give that analogy, uh, mm-hmm. many, many of these uh, functions are being done by a robot, right? And that will be then translated <clears throat> into other areas like finance, right? Where there's many people just doing repetitive tasks, they can then do really do more uh, value-added tasks in the future. And there are various solutions already out there I agree very strongly as well on the topic of, uh, well, these AI and ML models still need to be trained on data. So it's the data quality that we use to train them actually the right one so that the right decisions are being taken. But I think that will be a relatively short time frame only that we need to overcome this hurdle um, because it really becomes more and more mainstream. So all these functions just become normal. I, I, my favorite example is when I scan an uh, uh, expense receipt. I, I just take a picture of it and I don't have to do mm-hmm. anything else. The, the fields are filled in automatically. This was for me natural. Two years ago, that was rocket science. Right? That was really something, wow, this is really cool. Well, today, it's natural. And like this, it will evolve more and more. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Frank, Diana, join us. Thoughts? We've got a lot of technology talk on the table here. Is it here? Is everybody embracing it or just using it, not even thinking about it already in our everyday lives? And I said in my opening, it's already in our mainstream lifestyles, but it's now coming into the business world. So, Frank, what's your POV? It's definitely here uh, with an increasing footprint in the business world. Uh, the uh, phenomena of increasing compute power all the data that's emerging, which is critical to advancing artificial intelligence, and, uh, and critically, the, the advancements of, of deep learning, which was really the critical tipping point for artificial intelligence when deep learning and AlphaGo beat the, the famous Go champion, et cetera, et cetera. That really, in 2014, I think, was the tipping point that accelerated the growth of artificial intelligence. And we are now in a phase uh, where we're not just... Uh, using experts to come up with new approaches, but we're taking the approaches and now implementing them. So you're going to see, I think, and I'll jump to my prediction, in the next five years, an awful lot of AI-enabled use cases manifest themselves around the globe. And I think the two critical hubs will be um, Silicon Valley and China. Interesting, interesting. And Frank, while I have you, let me start a new thread here. and We're going to go around the table with this one. You say in your notes, AI-enabled prediction could fuel the organizational imperative for resilience, relevance, and adaptability. And then you mentioned IBM Watson can diagnose cancer better than a human doctor can, but whether it can predict the path of the rapid shifts that likely define our future is still a question. So let's talk about AI-enabled prediction, and let's put this in the context of the business leader embodied by, and that may be a difficult word, the AI CEO in terms of predicting 
where a business needs to go and gleaning the insights from the data in the right formats, the good data, the clean data, that that will fuel its machine learning capabilities, its artificial intelligence. So how accurate will that AI CEO? You'll start this one, and then we'll go around the table and see what your co-panelists have to say. Frank? Uh, uh, sure. Uh, there's a lot there so to unwrap. So let's start with the, the term prediction. I'm a big believer um, that the rate of change uh, is going to be so rapid that it's really impossible to predict. And as you mm-hmm. clearly, although I know Gray says our neocortex is, is geared toward that, it's simply the, the pace and the scale of what's coming that becomes very difficult for us to predict. And so we're going to have to rely on artificial intelligence for any form of understanding of the potential paths of this future rather than the predicting of this future. And in the, in the context of the organization, if you think about all that's evolving around not just artificial intelligence, but robotics and blockchain and other, uh, the, the rate of change is the most perplexing issue facing any leader anywhere. And so organizationally, the need for resilience, the need for adaptability uh, is, is paramount. And so the same mechanisms that are driving that need are the mechanisms that solve that problem. And so how does artificial intelligence and these other things enable a very resilient and adaptive organization? And so that's one of the key messages for any leader. Never mind trying to predict where this stuff is going. Focus on having a very flexible, adaptive, resilient organization that can move with the ship when it occurs. I think that's the foundation of success going forward. Thank you. Let's go around the table. Owen Pettiford, join us. What do you think about AI-enabled prediction and that that thing sitting at the desk in the CEO office? What do you think? I think um, I think AI-enabled prediction is probably going to be the first first thing that we'll see that you will see in the boardroom, um, and it will be ubiquitous. I see it already in, in in some places I go, but not that much. But I think in the next two years you'll see. That people, when you see these graphs of you know sales and um, you know inventory and all these things, historically they, they that's what they've shown you is just just the historic information. Um, and increasingly, we're going to expect to see people are just going to expect to see that the, the system will have predicted what will happen in the future, um, and and that will be undoubtedly driven. In the past, it's been driven by just statistics, but in um, being able to apply statistics and also um, machine learning uh, algorithms to those as well makes them the more 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 positive and really that's I think that's the way it's really going to start is that we'll then start to realize are those predictions good are those predictions bad I mean hey not every CEO gets it right all the time that's for sure so the um, AI CIO isn't going to get it right the first time so I think um, I think prediction is that you know we've talked about again predictive analytics have been around for a long time and was really a field of statistics and there's statistics and machine learning and AI and they sort of they sort of blend together um, in, in my mind as, as, as disciplines that can be applied together to, to give us that, that extra edge to say not only do I know how I have performed I'm going to get a rather than just using my gut feel I can see it try and see into the future and they're the organizations that are going to have the edge over the next few years and then hey what happens with the the, the, um, the AI CIO CEO I'm, I'm not sure. Thank you very much. Karsten Nitschke join us what do you think? I think first of all the um, the, the prediction, I think, that has been on the table already for quite some time. Uh, and the more you use it, the more you will see that actually <clears throat> it makes perfect sense to use it to enhance your decision-making criteria. But it also helps to add security. Um, and I think the security is another piece that is very important because with security, you create safety. And people like to feel safe. Right. Uh, this is right for the guy that has to, the person that has to, to take the decision. So to have some data that backs up a certain decision, to look into the future, uh, but also then for the employees. <clears throat> Let's not forget we don't work in a, in a singular uh, economy. We work in a company in an economy where we all depend in one way or another on each other. Right. So if we can create more teams by having better predictions, what do certain things mean to us? Uh, right now, like I said, I'm in London. What does Brexit, for example, if you make predictions around it, how does it impact certain things? You need to plan for the future, and you will not be able to do that without any predictive looking out into the future and having machine learning models that help you and really build models that help you then take the right decision whenever certain things occur. And they will occur, maybe very fast or maybe very slow, but they will occur anyhow. So I think it's absolutely vital to use these tools that are available today, 
that will be evolving very, very rapidly and that will help us just to become better at what we do. Thank you, Karsten. I want to squeeze in before we get to our actual predictions round, although I think that's what we've been talking about for the whole hour. Just a statement here, Karsten, from your notes. You say the driver for machine learning, ML, is not going to be technology, but it's going to come from the business. The key question is, what do we want to achieve? And that brings us, I think, full circle around to the prediction of where is the market going? What is our marketplace? What is our company going to be doing in five years? How do we get there? What do we need to do to increase the agility, the flexibility of our supply? chain with whom do we need to partner do we need to come up with more something as a service rather than product 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 all of these questions so do you see that uh, that this is going to be the main job of that robot CEO whoever that is of saying what do we want to achieve will that be in their purview Karsten let's go quickly around the table starting with you I think more or less the, the, uh, the robot will be told hey we want to achieve this and then find out the ways how you can best achieve it. How can you drive the best impact uh, with the goal that is being set and what is needed to do that, uh, to, to find really the necessary data points. I think that's really where it's going to go. And um, I think there will be really uh, a lot of things that will just simply change because today it is more personal, right? We do it on a gut feel, have data to back it up, and uh, this will really make things better. That's my, my prediction at this moment. Thank you. We still have a prediction coming from you when we get to the predictions round in about 40 seconds. Frank, Diana, what's your thought? Will that CEO AI, will that AI CEO have to look at what the business wants to achieve? Will that be something that they can be programmed to understand? Uh, it'll be part of, of, of a broader paradigm that I've, I've been calling a sense and respond kind of paradigm. If you think about how complicated understanding need is and will continue to be in the future because of all the things we talked about, pace, et cetera. You're going to need to sense need very rapidly and then respond uh, accordingly. And so AI and other mechanisms will underpin that need to sense and respond in very rapid fashion. And I think that's going to get really acute in the next several years. Thank you very much. And let's quickly go around to Owen. Owen, and and you're going to tell your response to this one, and then you're going to start the official predictions round with a 60-second prediction. So, Owen, what do you think about what do we want to achieve? Whose role will that be? Yeah, I I think the the AICI will be given those, um, well, not be, we'll we'll work on the goals together, but the thing it will be able to do that current CAO can't do is it will be able to process, you know, thousands or billions of scenarios um, with slight nuances between those scenarios and be able to select a much more um, you know, surgical strategy than we are able to do today. So I think that will be the difference. It should, which should lead to um, you know, less waste and, and more productivity. Um, so, and in, so in terms of, um, I guess, predictions for you know, my, my 60 second predictions, how is mm-hmm. AI going to um, you know, enter, the, enter the workplace? I mean, I, it already has entered the workplace to a, to a certain degree. You know, there are the, the, the software we're using now is smarter. You know, we're getting things, things are being suggested to us more often when we're using software products. Things pop up and say, you know, because you're doing this, I think you could be doing that. Um, the other first places I'm seeing um, AI being used are perhaps in tasks where, where people just haven't checked things to um, a level of uh, granularity previously because there's been too much to check. Um, and you can use AI to uh, try and see the wood for the trees, you know. So Patel's are a great example around around fraud detection. You know, there's so much going on that you can't see you know, the wood for the trees, but the AI was able to rank um, these potentially fraudulent transactions to then leave the, the human operator with, with a small enough number to actually process. So I think you'll just see software becoming smarter, um, which which means that, we'll, you know, people will just be able to do, you know, do more with less, and I guess the, the polite way of talking about that is then they'll be able to move on to more value-adding tasks, but I, I have my doubts. I think I think organizations will just be able to exist with less people, so I guess that's a, that's the more frightening prediction. Thank you very much. Karsten Nitschke, 60 seconds all year. You could actually take 90 if you make them tight. <laughs> that's a strange thing to say. <laughs> 90 seconds, but do something really fast with them. Go ahead. That's like I had a quick morning. No, you had a morning. Go ahead, Karsten. <laughs> Predict, please. Okay. So my prediction is um, absolutely so. We will 
uh, augment the human being uh, with AI continuously to really help them take better decisions, um, reduce the gut feel, and really offer them data points that help them then to take their decisions. And this will be maybe over the next two or three years really augmenting our human being. We will automate certain tasks which can just be automated by a machine, uh, like the typical invoice processing, etc. And then we will move on, right? It will, I think this is a continuous journey. It really depends on where we are on compute power and also where we are on our land of no, or how many sacred cows actually want to convert into burgers. Um, that maybe is a bigger question that we need to ask. Um, in order to come to this AI CEO, um, it's still a few years. Um, how many years? I don't know. But I'm looking forward to, to see really how we get, first of all, the augmented human being, which will help us just simply to be better. I like that. Help us to be better. Yes, our best authentic real selves, if we're real or if we're AI-fueled or whoever we will be at that point in time. Who knows what will be running our brains. Frank, Diana, I saved 70 seconds for you. Go ahead, Frank. <laughs> I think the uh, convergence of a number, number of forces are going to accelerate advancements uh, in AI in a number of different contexts, whether it's business or healthcare or other uh, the advancements, the continued advancements in the sciences and technology, and the number of geopolitical forces, uh, which we can't underestimate, I think, mm-hmm. really play a factor here. I mentioned uh, China and Silicon Valley, and I do believe there's a arms, arms race brewing there in terms of AI. Uh, those kinds of things tend to accelerate progress as well. So as we look at some of these forces and how they're converging, uh, I think we're going to see some pretty exciting uh, and sometimes scary things in the next five years as it relates to AI. Um, So, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Exactly right. And I want to thank the three of you very much. Owen Pettiford, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know why. Karsten Nitschke and Frank Diana, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know why. And I really appreciate the three of you joining me today. Next week, the 5th of December, that's a Wednesday, here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. We kick off the first of six, that's right, six episodes this year of our 2019 predictions specials. I am thrilled to say we have had our SVPs from more than 80, that's eight zero thought leaders, who appeared on one or more of our Game Changers shows throughout the course of the year. This has been a banner year for us in terms of number of broadcasts, and I'd like to think the quality of the topics as well as the listeners around the world. So I want to thank all of you, and please, I hope you will mark your calendars for 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, wherever time zone in the world you are. It'll be December 5th, 12th, and 19th that we take a break for the holidays and resume predictions on January 9th, 16th, and 23rd. That's all I think about now is the prediction special. We'll have between 13 and 16 thought leaders per hour on these shows, just giving us their best, their brightest, their most powerful predictions on steroids, we like to say. So I hope you'll join us then. Shout out to Aaron at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us here, Aaron. It's always, always great working with you. And uh, we'll be back next week. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Owen Pettiford at Back for Office Associates, just like Karsten Nitschke at SAP, and just like Frank Diana at TCS. Signing off for now. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.